that we just made every 40-somethings day. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I've gotten applause like that once in 14 years, like that video has gotten uh, this weekend. So if you've never been here before, um, this is what we do. We go through whole books of the Bible. We've been working through the book of James, and it's okay to have some fun every once in a while in church, right? And I hope, I hope you think that's okay. And uh, fun video, and it's been, if you haven't been here, it's been the same every week, except for this week, uh, a glitch in the game, right? So different video, but glad you guys are here. So um, like I said, we're finishing up the book of James today. If you've never been to a church like this, we do what's called expository teaching, which means we take a book of the Bible, word for word, line by line, verse by verse, and as long as it takes us to get through it, that's how long we take to get through it. We're wrapping up a very short book of the Bible, and we're about to start a, a much lengthier book of the Bible. We'll start the Gospel of John um, here soon. Uh, but we finish up this very short letter written by the literal brother of Jesus, the younger brother of Jesus. He was the head of the church in Jerusalem. This was written about 54, 50, uh, 55 AD. And it was written to people, to Christians, who had, who had to flee their homeland and disperse because they were being persecuted, because they were being treated badly. Some of them arrested, some of them uh, martyred, which means killed for their faith. And they had to split and run other places. And so James writes this letter, very, very simple, very, very clear, not hard to understand at all, just very practical, applicable ways that we are to, to live for God, and it, and it benefits us. And so last week, if you weren't here, we talked about in chapter four the difference of pursuing what God wants and pursuing what we want. And ironically, the probably the most ironic thing from last week's sermon is that when we pursue what we want, it actually hurts us. It's the most ironic thing. But when we pursue the things of God, we get the things of God, and those are better for us than what we even wanted for ourselves. So there are dangers in pursuing self. And again, we live in a culture to where that's all we're told all the time. Do what you wanna do, do it your way, it's all about you. And that's kind of the opposite of what this Bible tells us. This week, we're gonna talk about this. We're gonna talk about several things, and we're gonna start off in a very uncomfortable, kind of aggressive passage here at the beginning, and we'll get to that here in a second. But we're gonna end on kind of, a, kind of a recap, not on the whole book of James, but of kind of the thesis of the book of James, which is that the teachings and principles of the Bible, especially I'd say the book of James, are simple, they're practical, they're effective, they're good for us. We just have to be committed to doing them. We just have to commit to doing them, not just hearing the words, doing those words. That's what we're gonna talk about today. So if you're new, you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything I'm gonna say will be in that notes handout. Everything will be on the screens around the room. If you don't have the Experience Community app, it's free, just download that. Click on Sermon Notes, you got everything right there. And if you have a physical copy, we're in the back of the Bible in the very last chapter of James, and um, we'll get through it relatively quick. Again, it starts off a little, a little strong, but it, but it kind of tapers off and is a little less abrasive after the first section that we read, all right? So let me pray. We'll dive into this. How's the weather outside? I haven't seen the light of day in, since like seven o'clock. Bad, I heard groaning. That doesn't sound good. All right, so not that good outside. It's okay. Maybe we'll just hang out for a couple hours, you and I. We'll just hang out in here. You don't want that. Uh, yeah, let me pray, and then and then you'll be free uh, to, to enjoy the rest of your day. Father God, we love you. Lord, thank you for everyone in this room. <sighs> Father, thank you for the freedom that we have. Thank you for um, 
the liberty and the luxury that we have, God, to come into a place like this and to worship you and to read your word. So, so Father God, you've already blessed us, but Lord, we pray for, for you to continue to bless this church. We don't just pray for our church. We pray for every church in our city. We pray for our other campuses and the churches in those cities, God, and we pray, Lord, ultimately, that everything we do today, this morning, that it honors you and that it brings us closer to you. We love you. We thank you. We praise you, God. Keep your hand on us, God, as we, we do our best to just get closer to you. And we pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. It's going to start off strong and a little uncomfortable, but we'll get through it. James says, come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth is rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you have withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourself. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. Pretty strong language here. And James starts off talking, he says, you rich people. Now we're gonna be careful with all of this. We, we, we live in a society nowadays to where if someone has more than I do, we demonize them for having things that we don't. We'll talk about that here in a second. What James is talking about here is, is literally there were landowners uh, in Jerusalem and even outside of Jerusalem who would employ people and they would underpay them. They would overwork them. Sometimes they wouldn't pay them at all. They basically, it was rich, powerful people that took advantage of the poor. That's who he is literally specifically talking about right there. Now, more than likely, these people that James is referring to were not Christian business owners or landowners. They were non-Christians. But if there is a strong rebuke for non-believers for doing something wrong, that rebuke is, is much more strong for people who know better and who abuse their workers or don't pay people fairly or do things that are unethical in business. So the standard is even higher for the believer. Okay, so as we move into this, we're gonna talk about money a little bit in church, which is, I don't know if you get uncomfortable, I get uncomfortable because I'm, I'm up here in front of you and talking about money sometimes is uncomfortable. Now, money in and of itself is not evil. People say, well, you know, money's the root of all evil. That is not what the Bible says. For the love of money is the root of all, money is paper. It is something that we exchange for goods and services. It is not either evil or good. It is what we do with the resources that we have that is either good or bad. And if we have been given more resources, then we are more responsible because Jesus said that those that have much are responsible for much. And now right now, some of you are probably like, whoo, okay, I'm not rich, so this doesn't even apply to me. You're an American. And on the global stage, you are one of the richest people on planet Earth. When you compare us to everyone Else, we live in a very decadent society, and a lot of it has been a blessing, but a lot of it, quite frankly, has not worked to our advantage. So when he says, you rich people, if we think of this in a societal form, we're the most prosperous people on planet Earth. That means that we have a lot that we're going to be held into account for. But us personally, 
If we are selfish or abusive with our time, money, and energy, uh, we're gonna be held accountable too. Why? Because whatever we do have, whether that be a little or a lot, you know, based on your perception, all of it ultimately belongs to God. It's all His. We are stewards. That's where that word comes from. If you ever hear that in church, a steward is someone that is handling someone else's possession. We're called stewards because ultimately everything we have belongs to the Lord. Also as a Christian, we should understand that these things are gonna go away. Now here's the other side of it. Sometimes in Christianity, um, um, you know, in society, we demonize whoever has more than us. In Christianity, we think that we're not allowed to have anything good because we're Christians. And that's not true either. Of course, there is sacrifice, but there's nothing wrong with you having a, a nice car or a nice home or name brand clothes or, or whatever. As long, and we'll talk about this here in a second, as long as your priorities are right, that's fine. So, but ultimately the Christian needs to know that our identity is not tied up in our material things. That is not where our contentment and our joy and fulfillment come from. So we also have to have our priorities in the right list. Well, what are you talking about, Corey? Well, I'm glad you asked. I have them written down right here. What we are to do is when it comes to our time, our money, our influence, this is kind of the order in which we use those things. First and foremost, we have to give God our best, right? The Bible says our first fruits. We give God our best with our time, with our money, with our energy, with our talents. We honor God with that first. Second, we are to make sure that our spouse is taken care of. If you're married in here, if you're a husband, make sure that your wife is taken care of. If you're a wife, make sure that to the best of your abilities, your husband is taken care of, that you take care of each other. It's our second priority. Then of course, if you have kids to take care of them, and then after that, to contribute for the betterment of our community and our society. After that, we can do whatever the heck we want to do with our money, but our priorities have to be in the proper context. So not only wealthy people are who we consider to be wealthy, but all of us are going to be held into, a, into account by God for what we did with whatever we had. I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. So if you came in here today and you're like, oh, this is another preacher just trying to get money. If you come to one of our vision services, I will show you where every single dollar goes and you will see how not rich all of us that work at this church are getting. And here's the thing about this church. If you give more to this church this year, if you don't know anything about us, I'll tell you a little bit. We will not use your money to, to, to expand this place and make it more decadent. If you're you know, like in love with this, this coffee-stained, nasty carpet, we'll praise God, because you're gonna have it for a long time. We're not gonna invest in things like that. We're gonna plant more churches and give more money away to nonprofits and other churches around the world. That's what we'll do with it. But, but here's the thing. I personally felt really convicted, started a couple of years ago, and I still feel convicted over this at times, I remember when we first started working with organizations that sponsor children throughout the world, like right now we partner with Compassion International. Years and years ago when we started doing this and I started personally, our family, uh, uh, picking up a kid to, to sponsor overseas, at first I'm like, man, $38 a month. There's all these other things. And if you have kids, you know how expensive your own kids are, especially if you haven't done braces yet, that's fun. Anyways, life is expensive. And so I'm like, man, I don't know if I can afford $38 a month to, to, to sponsor one of these kids. And I felt so convicted one day. I don't drink coffee anymore, but when I used to drink coffee, 
Every single day after lunch, I would roll through the Starbucks on Old Fort and I would get a venti iced coffee and it came out to just, with tip and everything, I'd, I'd pay about five bucks a cup. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, wow, $5 a day, five days a week times four weeks, that's $100 a month I spend just on coffee for myself. And so if I can sit there and drink a $5 cup of coffee and say that I personally cannot afford to help a kid that will not eat, will not get education, will not get clothes, and will not hear the gospel if I don't give $38 a month, there's something wrong with me. That's me, I'm talking about me. I'm not trying to guilt trip you, I'm talking about me. So we sponsored two kids because I could sponsor two kids for cheaper than what I was paying for coffee. Now listen, I have not, there's nothing wrong with drinking a $5 cup of coffee. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever as long as those priorities are in place. So when I read the book of James and it's talking about rich people and it says those who, who have indulged themselves, those who have lived luxuriously, now let me tell you, I have a ranch style house from 1984. It's a nice house, but man, I've been to Africa and I have slept in the bush before. I live luxuriously. You live luxuriously. And so when I read the word of God, it starts to call my heart out a little bit. And so how does this apply to you and I? If you and I have been given more than enough, but we withhold our time, money, and abilities from those who are in need, and if we use our resources only for ourselves, how are we any different than the wealthy landowners that James is talking about right here? How are we any different? And so right now in the United States, we have this kind of language in church. I wanna go get my blessings. It's all about blessings. And I hope God does bless you. But we are all recipients of blessings, not just to be hoarders of blessings, but to be distributors of blessings to other people. That's where our heart is supposed to be postured. So again, it is all about priorities. And I'm just gonna be super vulnerable and, and whatever. And if you're new to this church, I'm gonna tell you this as well. I don't know who tithes to this church, who gives to this church. I give to this church, and I'm not saying that boastfully, but I'm gonna tell you this. When I first became a Christian at 23 years old and my wife and I got married at 25 and 24, we have always consistently given to whatever church we've gone to, including the one that I started, this one. And I'm gonna tell you, if you will learn to trust God with your money and give to the advancement of the gospel, I have never had an excess, but I have never been without. Amen. God always takes care of us. So listen, I, I will not know if you do, do this or don't. That's between you and the Lord. The best thing you can do for you and your family is trust God with your money. Also live within your means. If you make $50,000 a year, don't buy a $75,000 car. That's dumb, guys. I love you, but that's not smart. Live within your means. Take care of your families. Men in this room, I love you. If you wanna you know, get that new gun or truck or game or whatever, that's fine, you can have that stuff. Make sure that your children have all they need, your wife has all she needs, and then knock yourself out. Amen. Not literally, don't do that. He told me to like get a truck and knock myself out. No, I didn't. <laughs> Make sure your priorities are order, in order and then that's fine. Make sure you are helping those that don't have enough. And then after that, enjoy the things of life. There is nothing anti-Jesus about that. That's fine, okay? So that's the last I'm gonna talk about money for about 30 minutes, then I'll hit it again at the end, so. <laughs> Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, 
and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you won't be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You've heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any oath. Let your yes mean yes, let your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. Okay, this is gonna sound a little pessimistic, but, but this is Bible. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is with his disciples, the 12, and they ask Jesus, Jesus, when are you gonna return? After you're crucified and you resurrect, when are you gonna come back to earth? What should we expect? One of the things that Jesus said when he talked to his disciples in Matthew chapter 24 is he said, as time goes on, as it gets closer and closer to Jesus coming back, he said it will be like a pregnant woman having labor pains. That the closer and closer the delivery comes, it will become more painful. What does that mean? What that means is this. As time goes on, it will be more and more difficult for us to be vocal about our faith in this world. It will be harder. There will be persecution. There will be social ostracization. We will, get, we will be treated patiently, or uh, we will be treated poorly. So James says, you have to be patient until Jesus comes back. So whenever I hear, and I'm not trying to be mean, and again, guys, I'm not trying to like, like be the most pessimistic person in the world this morning, but whenever I hear Christians go, man, I'm just waiting. One day, the United States is gonna be a nation under God again. We're gonna be a conservative, God-fearing people. We're gonna do it the right way. It's gonna turn around. It's not. Amen. I'm not trying to break your heart this morning. It's not. There is nowhere is it biblically supported. The Western world isn't even mentioned in the book of Revelation, which leads us to believe it'll be completely irrelevant by the time Jesus comes back. So if you're waiting for governments to get their act together and fear God, it's never happened. It's never going to happen. If you're waiting for society and for culture to say, man, Jesus is the best thing ever, it's not going to happen. It never has, it never will, and it's going to get worse. Again, I'm not trying to be the most <laughs> biggest Debbie Downer of your day, but it, they call it the apocalyptic theory. If you study the book of Revelation, what that means is things are gonna get worse, 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 worse. Something's going to happen. It's the return of Jesus. And then things get better and stay better for eternity. That's, that's heaven. And so we are waiting for that. Okay. So if you're in this room this morning and you're like, okay, it's gonna be bad and it's gonna get worse. What do we do? Well, here's the thing. Persecution and hardship should not surprise the Christian. Jesus told us this was going to happen. In Matthew chapter 24, he goes on to say that, that in this life there will be suffering, but take heart, I've overcome the world, I'm gonna come back. That we know this is coming, but, but unfortunately, even though Christians should know hard times are coming, we still tend to act very, very poorly when those hard times come. And we retaliate and we complain and we slander and we gossip. But here's the thing we need to remember, guys. This is very, very important. If you're a Christian in here, you are never to be at war with people. 
Do you hear me? You're not at war with people. You are at war with the evil that may live in some people, but you are not at war with the person. This is why Paul says, we fight not against flesh and blood. You're not fighting humans. We are fighting principalities. We are fighting evil forces. And we do that not with our fists. We do that through prayer, through fasting, like we're gonna start tomorrow. Yay, we're gonna do all, this is how we fight spiritual battles. With people, we are to act like Jesus and be patient and be loving because he was like that when we were evil. And this is how we're to act as well. This is how we handle turbulent times. So we are to develop, to develop stamina and endurance. We pray, we read the word of God, and listen, we, we, we find hope in the fact that we know Jesus is coming back, not only to save us from a broken world, but listen to this, to deal with evil once and for all. Yes. God will deal with evil once and for all. And so again, this is gonna sound pessimistic, but I wanna throw something else good in there. What we are going to see as time goes on is evil is going to increase. It is escalating at a pretty rapid rate. Any of you who are, and if you're younger than this, I'm not condescending you, but if you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, if you've lived a little bit, look back just on the last 10 years and see how not just that, 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 that it seems like more people are sinning, but, but the, the height and the depth of the sin how radical and how accepted sin has gotten. Evil is increasing in a dramatic form, especially in the United States. Corey, you're really picking on the United States. This is where we live, and we're the most prosperous free nation on, on planet Earth. And there was an article put out, I think it was USA Today, it was a big publication about three or four weeks ago, that not only is Christian de Christianity declining more than it ever has right now in the United States, but I think it's by 2050 or something like that, uh, less people will claim to be believers in any God than, than there will be more non-believers, more atheists than people believe in any kind of God in the next 20 years. So we're, we are going down at a rapid pace in the United States. So evil is increasing. Here's the positive thing though. As evil is increasing in the world, so is the gospel. It may be tanking in the United States. Do you wanna know where the gospel is taking root right now? In Iran, in Iraq. It's doing it in China in Russia, all over the continent of Africa, where the gospel is just exploding and is growing at rapid rates. The reason this is important to know is, even though it seems to get more evil and evil and evil out in society, there are lots of people who are receptive to the truth, so we cannot stop speaking it. And we cannot stop living it, because people need it. And James says this, man, if you think it's tough, Go back and read about the people in the Bible who have suffered for their faith. You know what James is essentially saying? And if you've never read the book of Job, you should. If, if you think your life sucks, just go read Job. Amen. This is what James is saying. Guys, you think it's tough? You remember Job? If you've never read Job, you get about five pages into Job and you're like, holy smokes. You wanna go like kiss your wife and you know, like go hug your children and everything's a lot better after you read Job. It's rough. Not just Job though. James, the guy that wrote this book of the Bible, was violently murdered for his faith. All of the disciples of Jesus, 10 of the 12 were murdered for their faith. One of them committed suicide, Judas. One of them was boiled alive and put on an island to be exiled. That was John. The rest of them were violently murdered. Not only the, the, the men and women in the Bible, 
There are so many millions of martyrs for Jesus Christ throughout, throughout church history that unfortunately a lot of us are unfamiliar with. And I'm gonna tell you about my favorite one though. We gain inspiration and we gain hope from these people who have sacrificed everything for, for Jesus. My, my personal favorite martyr was a 21-year-old young woman named Perpetua. Uh, she's a saint in the Catholic Church, Saint Perpetua. I love Perpetua. She was, she was raised in Carthage, North Africa, during the Roman Empire in about 181 AD. If you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, the Caesar at the time was Commodus, right after Marcus Aurelius. Commodus was in charge. He was absolutely nuts. He had put all this money and energy into the games, into the Colosseum, and having gladiators come in and, and, and kill people and kill each other, and wild animals would come in, and gladiators would fight tigers and lions and all this kind of stuff. It was crazy. During this time, there was a 21-year-old woman. She was beautiful. She came from a noble birth, which means she was rich and had influential uh, family members. And she was a new mom, and she just got saved. Gave her life to Jesus Christ in 181 AD. She was arrested, and what they would do is they would bring Christians into the Colosseum in Rome. They would put them into the Colosseum. They would unleash lions and bears and all kinds of crazy animals. They called them wild cows. That means a bull. They would put a bull in there, and they would let these wild animals tear the Christians to shreds in front of screaming fans. People would pay to go watch this. And if the animals didn't kill them, they would send gladiators out to stab them either in the heart or in the throat, and that would end them, and people would applaud, and they would go home. So Perpetua was arrested, taken to Rome, and she was going to be killed in the Colosseum. While she was imprisonment, awaiting her death in the Colosseum, she wrote this. Stand fast in the faith and love one another, and don't be tempted to do anything wrong because of our sufferings. After she wrote this, she was begged by her family, her parents, to renounce her faith in Jesus. Saint Perpetual was brought out to the Colosseum and a wild, uh, a wild bull stabbed her in the side with its horn. Uh, they said lions had taken chunks out of her body. She was dying, but not dead yet. And a gladiator, they think he was a new gladiator because they said his hand shook as he tried to find her throat. And Perpetua took the knife and put it right at her throat because she knew exactly where she was gonna go when he stabbed her. Amen. Amen. And in the United States we go, I just don't know if I can do it anymore. <laughs> Think about it for a second, guys. Think about it. So we have to make sure that our yes is a yes. We need, to be, we need to be people of such integrity that when we say we're going to do something, we do it. Our reputation needs to be solid. When we say no, we mean no. When we say yes, we say yes. And we need to not just do that with each other. We need to apply that to Jesus Christ, which means if I call myself a Christian, I better be following Jesus because he knows. If I'm going to say no to evil, I better say no to evil because there is no deceiving God, right? Last part. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they should pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of, the, the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns them back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So this whole last part is about prayer. And if you're in here and you're a Christian, if we're being honest with ourselves, we talk about prayer a lot, but sometimes when, when, when hard times hit, prayer is kind of like a third or fourth string option for us. It's not the first thing that we do. And the Bible says the first thing you need to do when times get hard, pray. He says the first thing you need to do when times get good is thank God and continue to pray. What we often do, because we're humans in here, if you're new in here, we're very honest humans in this church. What we tend to do as humans is when hard times come, we either wallow in self-pity, we get angry, or we get jealous of what other people have. That's what we do. When times are good, and this is what I see more often than not as a pastor, when times get good, that's when we grow complacent, apathetic, we stop coming to church, we stop having good community, we stop praying because we're good. We don't need God right now because things are good. And we slip right back into a sinful lifestyle. Prayer though, we do when it's good, when it's bad, we find strength and we find balance through prayer and praise. We're also to pray with other people. The Bible says that if we are sick, that can be physically sick, mentally sick, spiritually sick, everything basically, that we are to find the elders of the church, be anointed with oil and be prayed for. So at the end of service, we always have people up here to pray. They're not always elders, though our elders do participate in that in whatever service they come to. And not only that, I'll blow your mind, we keep olive oil on both sides of the stage because we're trying to do it the way the Bible tells us to do. Someone comes up and they're sick and they wanna be prayed for for whatever that is, we'll take some oil, we'll lay hands on you and we will pray for you because the Bible says to. Now, does that mean that every time we do that, every single person is healed? No. Can God do it? Yes. Does he always do it? No, because it's not always his will. How do you say that, Corey? I can say that because when Jesus was crying out to God in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, if it be your will, let this cup pass. The cup didn't pass because it wasn't God's will for it to pass. There was nothing wrong with Jesus, just like there's probably nothing wrong with you when you pray for God to do something and he doesn't answer that specific prayer request. Maybe there's something else he wants to do in your life. So here's what we do. If you come up to one of us and you ask for prayer, we will pray with full confidence that God can heal you. We will even pray in Jesus' name, heal this person. If it be your will, Lord, we first pray for your will, God. We wanna know your will first. So God, can God do it? Yes, I have seen God miraculously heal people. And I have also prayed for people and God has not miraculously healed him. But let me tell you something about this. One, every single one of us are going to die, which means eventually something's going to get you. And I'm not saying that to be funny, we talked about even last week that not only are we all gonna die, but we're not even promised longevity. You're not even promised tomorrow, the Bible says in James chapter four. So, so we just need to make sure that we're ready spiritually today. That's the first thing. The second thing, 
I can't remember. What was I going to say? What is the second thing? I don't know. Let's just move on. I forgot about it. I'll get to it. It'll come back to me later when it doesn't make any sense in the slide that I'm on, okay? Also through prayer, we are forgiven. We don't know who wrote Psalm 100. It might have been David. It might have been someone else. It doesn't say. It says the psalmist. But what it says in Psalm 100 is it is wise for us to enter into our, our time with God with gratitude, with thanksgiving, the Bible says. So after we enter into to praying with, with, with thankfulness and gratitude, we are also to repent of any sin that might be in our heart. Because not only is God quick to forgive us of sin, but the this is so important. The prayers of repentant and obedient people are effective. Do you know what that teaches us? If the prayers of obedient and repentant people work, that leads us to believe that when we are not obedient and we're not repentant of sin, our prayers are not effective. Well, Corey, why is Jesus so mean? I need a new job. I need this help. I need this and this. I know I make mistakes and I do these sinful things, but I need these things. Why is Jesus not giving me everything I want? I'm going to tell you why. Because Jesus loves you more than that. Here's the thing. If we lived sinful and did whatever we wanted to do, but whenever we needed something, we just cried out to God and he said, yes, yes, yes. Here, have it, have it, have it. We may get everything we want in this life, but we're gonna spend eternity in hell apart from Christ. Christ loves you more than that. He wants you to be with him forever. So what Jesus does is when we ask for things and we have unrepentant sin, God goes, hey, let's address your soul before we address your job situation. Let's address your soul before we address even your health situation. Let's address your soul before we address even your marital situation. Why? Because Jesus loves you so much, he wants to make sure that the heart is okay before he gets to everything else. If he answered all of our prayers, regardless of the state of our heart, we would have this false perception that we're in good standing with God. And we may not be. Is that, does that make sense to everyone in the room? The prayers of obedient, righteous people are effective. So when we have a heart that is aligned with God, that means we confess our faults. Now listen, I'm not trying to offend you if you come from a Catholic background. There is no human on earth that can forgive your sins. I don't care what any religion says. Only God can absolve you of sins. Amen. But what our brothers and sisters in Christ can do is if I'm struggling with something, I can go to you and say, man, I just want to confess I've been struggling with that. Now you have someone that can pray with you, can keep you accountable, can walk with you, can encourage you. That confession is very important. Amen. Then we repent to God to forgive us of our sin and we do what the Bible tells us to do. And when we live like this, we start to pray for the things of God. And when we pray for the things of God, we get the things of God. Hence, we have an effective prayer life. Amen. So it all begins with us having a desire to do what Jesus tells us to do. You know, th th this is amazing. When we get into the Gospel of John, I think it's chapter 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will do what I tell you to do. So we have to strive to be true followers of Jesus Christ. And we will see God move in our life. There are so many people who are frustrated. Oh, God never moves in my life. Well, you are living in sin. Let God deal with that sin, and I bet you will see the Lord move much more in your life. And, and here's one of the excuses, though, that we do. 
We say, well, we're not superheroes like these people in the Bible. I'm not like Elijah who prayed for God to close up the sky and he did it, and then prayed for God to make it rain and it rained. I'm not like Elijah. And James is like, man, Elijah was a dude just like we are. He was just a normal person like we are. The only difference that Elijah may have from some of us in this room is he actually trusted God and talked to him all the time. He had a strong relationship with God. And what James is saying, the reason he's bringing up Elijah is he goes, you can see miracles in your life too if you'll just pray, if you'll just live obediently to God, if you'll just trust him, you will see miraculous things in your life. You'll be in tune with the Lord. So Elijah was no different than you and I. And then the last thing that James talks about is, he says, we need to make sure that we are praying for people who have strayed from the truth. <laughs> you know what we do in American Christianity when people make mistakes and they stray from the truth? We typically just write something mean about them on Facebook. Or we share some YouTube video, or we watch a documentary about a church that has fallen. Isn't it amazing? It is fascinating to me how many Christians love to watch other Christians burn. It is fascinating and, and kind of sick how much we enjoy that. But you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to go out of our way. If there are people who, who claim to follow Jesus, but they're not living in obedience to Jesus, we are to pray for them. Not only pray for them, we are to help hold them accountable because we love them. Hey man, what you're doing is not right. You gotta stop that. It's gonna tear apart your relationship with God, tear apart your relationship with everyone else if you don't stop. I love you. And we pray for them and we, we, we hold them accountable. And James says, when we do that, we save people from, from, from hell. We save souls from death. And it even goes on, it says that it covers a multitude of sins, that God pours out grace if we will just work to help these people get back on track, okay? I said I would talk about money one more time. This is the only slide. The first thing is this, guys, when it comes to your finances, not just your finances, your, your influence, your talents, your abilities, it all belongs to God. Well, Corey, you don't know how hard I worked for that stuff. I know that God made your legs. Well, Corey, you know, it's my intellect. God made your brain too. We can go on and on and on with this. Everything we have, every good and perfect thing is from the Lord. It's his. And so because it's ultimately his anyways, guys, learn to trust God with your finances. Learn to trust God with your talents and your abilities, but learn to trust God with your money. If we, if we will learn to be generous and open-handed, if you can let go of money, you can pretty much let go of anything. I always make the argument that but when the Bible talks about tithing, when the argument, or when the Bible talks about generosity and giving, it's really not about money at all. God knows our hearts, and if we can let go of material things, we can live our whole lives open-handedly. And we do this, you need to make sure that you're honoring God with your finances and your time and your energy for you. You also need to do this, and I'm not trying to guilt trip you, but the reason why we partner with, with organizations like Compassion is kids will starve to death and not only starve to death, do it without ever hearing the gospel in other parts of the world unless people like us, churches like us, stand up and kind of put our money where our mouth is. There are people in your city that will starve to death. There are people close to you that will fall into despair and hurt themselves and, and, and let other people hurt them if we do not step up and do something. 
I find it ironic, all these people who are like, the church should do more. And I'm like, well, do more with what? If you're not giving anything to us, what do, what do you want us to do? What do you, how do we expect us to do it? You guys need to be planting more churches. It costs money to do that. It takes time to do that, resources, talent to do that. So again, here's the other thing. Here's the other side of that. God is not against you enjoying the things of life. But in order to enjoy the things of life, we need to make sure our priorities are in the right place. Nothing wrong with having a nice car or truck or going on vacations or nothing wrong with any of that as long as our priorities are in the right order. We also have to remember that there will be hardships, persecution, hostility in this world. It is not a question of if you will face hard times. The question is, how will you and I respond when we face hard times? Will we respond in a way that honors Jesus? Because it is not going to get easier to follow him. If you find yourself going, I just don't know if I can be a Christian in 2022 or 2023, well, then you sure as heck can't be a Christian in 2024. If you think that there is going to come a time to where it's just gonna be easier to live out the principles of the Bible, I, mean, I hate to tell you this, it's just not gonna be the case. It is not going to become easier. So we need to make sure that our yes is a yes. We need to make sure that we are people of integrity, people of our word, especially when it comes to, if we're saying we're, we're Christians, that we're actually following Jesus Christ. We also need to be praying. In difficult times, we, we need to be careful not to wallow in self-pity, not to wallow in anger, not to wallow in jealousy. But not only do we need to pray during hard times, listen, we need to thank God during hard times. Because as bad as it gets, you know, you, so in the Old Testament, there was a, there's a book of the Bible I love called Habakkuk. It's very short, three chapters. And Habakkuk in the Old Testament, towards the end of his very, very short contribution to the Bible, Habakkuk says, God, if the fig tree never blooms again, I'm with you. Do you know what he was saying? God, if you never bless me again, I'm still with you. We need to make sure that we are the kind of people where if God never does us anything ever again, that we still love him because he's been so good to us, better than we've ever deserved up to this point. So in bad times, we have to pray. In good times, we have to fight complacency and we have to pray. And we have to thank God for what he's done in our life. The will of God and the power of God are available to us but we have to pray. We have to have a prayer life. Now, I'm so sorry for how anticlimactic these last two slides are gonna be. They're gonna be very simple and, and very practical, okay? The first thing is this. If you find that your prayers are not being effective, the first step is we need to ask ourselves, is there anything in my life that I need to ask God to forgive me of? Well, Corey, I don't think I've done anything wrong. You have. Just ask God to reveal it to you and then ask God to forgive you of it. We need to ask God to examine our hearts. God, whatever's in me, search it out, forgive me of it, and then do what the Bible tells you to do. If you're doing something the Bible says not to do, stop it. If you're not doing something the Bible tells you to do, you need to do it. Be obedient. Also, learn to pray effectively. Let me, let me show you something. There, there, there's kind of a... a kind of an outline, if you will, that Jesus gives us in the book of Matthew, the Lord's Prayer. 
And most people just repeat that, and there's nothing wrong with repeating the Lord's Prayer. But if you go back, many translations say, pray like this, pray similar to this. He's kind of given us a structure. Solomon actually does this in the book of 1 Kings too. Here's a good way to pray. First, start off by thanking God. This is maybe even a good thing for you to do when you go home. Get a piece of paper, write down 10 lines, you know, one through 10, things I'm thankful for. Well, Corey, I can't think of anything. Well, your hand works to write. Thank God for that, right? I have breath in my lungs. If you're married, if you have kids, if you ate today, if you drove a car, there's lots of things to be thankful for. I just gave you about six right there. Write down some things and thank God for it. Second, write down a couple of squares and, and, and things that you need to repent for. And even if they're not sinful things, God, sometimes I'm not patient. Forgive me of that and help me with that. Just get it cleared up and square with God. Then write down 10 or 20 slots and pray for other people. And I'm gonna challenge you, not just people you like and love, pray for some people that you don't like. Pray for some people who have hurt you. Pray for that person at work that gets on your nerves. Pray for people, a lot of amens right there. <laughs> Hopefully none of those people work here, anyways. And then listen, it's back to those priorities. You've put God first, your sin second, you've put other people third, and then you can pray for whatever, whatever the heck you want and not feel guilty about it. Do you know what we normally do? We invert this. God, I need this, 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 and this. And if we have some time, we're like, oh yeah, and thank you for that. And I think, you know, pray for my mom. But 90% of our prayer is the opposite of this. It's just all about what we want. Write this down, put yourself last. And here's the other thing, learn to pray it out loud. Amen. Write this down. Whenever people go, well, I don't know how to pray for a long time. If you were to do this, and if you were to, to, to sincerely go through that list and speak it, you'll pray for a half hour and you won't even realize it's gone. So learn to speak it. Why speak it? There is something powerful in, in hearing yourself say these things. There is something powerful in the spoken word. I find it interesting that in Genesis 1 and 2, it says that the Lord spoke the universe into existence. There's something powerful about the spoken word. Also, pray sporadically, which means just off the cuff at different times. The beauty about how, how modern cars are, how you talk you know, through your phone in your car, you can do that and no one thinks you're crazy. You're praying, but well, I guess you're just talking to somebody. God, you know. Anyways, pray sporadically and actually schedule out some time to pray. Schedule out some time to pray and do it formally. So again, if you've been with me through the book of James, it is not hard to understand. If you wanna wrap up James in kind of a nice, neat package, the book of James is about not just hearing this, but doing it. That's what it's about. Don't be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. And not only will that save our souls, it makes life on earth better. We will see amazing things in this life. And I would make the argument that it's not just the book of James. I would argue the entire Bible falls into this category. It's pretty simple. It's pretty practical. It's pretty applicable. And if we would just do it. Do, do you wanna know why I hate New Year's resolutions? Because we don't stick to them. What happens is, is January rolls around, we all buy treadmills. And then by March, we hang laundry on the treadmill. You know what's interesting? There's, there's nothing wrong with the treadmill. 
The treadmill is not the problem. The problem is, is we don't use the treadmill. That's why we don't lose weight. The problem is not the word of God. The problem is not God. The problem is that we don't do the word of God. So, so can I tell you something that's really sad? And listen, I'm not trying to be mean or again, pessimistic. Right now, this room is pretty full. The nine o'clock was much more full than even this. The five o'clock was full. The seven o'clock was pretty full. Come March, it won't be that full in here. Because we often treat Jesus kind of like we treat that treadmill in our room. Everybody with me? We need to be committed to this. We need to say we're either in or we're not. We need to be at church. We need to get involved. We need to have a prayer life. We're gonna start a 40-day fast tomorrow. Corey, that sounds daunting. It is. And if you mess up during it, that's okay. Keep going. If you decide to do that fast with us, I give you my word, it will absolutely change your spiritual life. And all the people in this room that, that have done it over the years, it is life-changing. But, but it takes commitment. It takes endurance. It's easy, simple. Not easy, but simple, practical, effective. But it takes commitment. Okay. Would you bow your heads with me, please? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I said this last week if you were here in this service. It was the only service I said it in. People ask me sometimes, they say, Corey, why are you still a believer in God? You've never seen him. You've never audibly heard him. Why do you still believe? And the answer I always give people, the reason why I have never strayed in my faith in the last 20 years I've been a Christian is because every time I do what the word of God tells me to do, it works. Every time I apply the teachings and the principles of the Bible to my life, they work. They work in my marriage, they work in my job, they work with my finances, they, 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 they work with my attitude towards non-believers, they, they work in, in everything. We just have to apply it. If you are in this room and maybe you're not a believer but you're on a journey, you're looking, you're digging, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Amanda is up here, she's our student pastor. If you have any questions for Amanda, she would absolutely love to talk with you. We will also have men and women on both sides of the stage. Like I said earlier, if you need prayer for anything, anything in your life, please let one of these men or women pray with you. The last thing is we have communion all the way around this room where we see a lamp on a table all the way around the room. And if you're sitting in the middle, there's some on these posts, some disposable communion. Communion is bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus. We take this every single weekend at all four services as we gather together because the, uh, the Bible says this, Jesus said, do this to remember me. This helps us remember the cross, the sacrifice that God made for us, that while we were still sinners, Jesus came, died for us to forgive us of our sins. All of us are welcome to take communion as long as you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin, okay? Let me pray for you. Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you so much, God. I pray, Lord, that you keep your hand on us. I pray, God, that as we go into this year, we do not know what to expect. We don't know if it's gonna be an easy year. We don't know if it's gonna be the most turbulent year we've ever lived. But God, we do know that if we will just be committed to a relationship with you, that come hell or high water, we'll be all right. 
I pray, God, that you just give us strength, give us endurance, give us peace, give us hope. Bless us in those ways, God, and keep us close to you, Lord. We thank you, God, for everything you've done for us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Hope you have a good rest of your day.